0: Hello friends, welcome to Beyond the News. I'm your host Jim Grant. This is being recorded on Friday the 23rd of October in this most interesting year of 2020. It's going out the last week of October on Bexhill Radio and then for all eternity across various podcast platforms. I know I'm on the big one Spotify now, I've done that this week. first 11 episodes are up there, I'll get the other few up there in the next week or so so by the time you're listening to this it will be up there I expect hopefully unless I've been censored see no reason why not all I do is cover the mainstream news and I'm going to be doing more of that than I usually do on previous podcasts because I thought you know what I think regular audience members will know now I know I've got regular audience membership now uh, as of a couple of weeks ago as a few thousand a week thank you for listening by the way I think you'll know where I stand so let's just blitz as much news as possible why bother with my opinions when I can just give you the information as to why I have those opinions in the first place? I think we all know where I stand. For those of you that don't, you could either go and listen to the hours of Spotify that's now on there, and that, that's across various other podcast platforms as well. I don't know what ones they're on. I put them on something called Anchor and then it distributes into a variety. So I know it's, it's on Spotify, but. What a treat for any of you insomniacs out there. 11 hours of me droning on about the constant erosion of our civil liberties and that's going to be kind of where we're going for this hour but it's going to be peppered with the odd little interesting thing from or there's a little thing about Egypt that's interesting or mobile phones on the moon or or other little discoveries or even if we have time, saber-toothed tigers tracking stone age mothers and finding the tracks of the, the great uh, dodging around all sorts of weird things peppered in between the constant erosion of our civil liberties uh, peppered with some resistance that's going on around the world to it and in this country so without any further ado let's uh let's go on with the first articles here it's in relation to what i would now call the top story of last week check me out structured now because now I'm on Spotify, I'm thinking, why don't I put, like, um, for, for the latter episodes, why don't I put the top three articles on there? Because they do seem to be relevant for, like, the next month or so. It's amazing how many people I speak to that aren't aware of that bill that was passed that allowed certain government agencies... To go and listen to the articles from last week, because I'm still not sure. They One of them mentioned the Food Standards Agency, but that just sounds too... Un- just ridiculous, doesn't it? So uh, I feel like... Oh, Am I reading something from The Onion or something here? Rape, torture, murder, food standards, agency, is this, this is, this is, you, anyway, so lots of people don't, weren't really aware of that, so I'm presuming the TV didn't cover it a a great deal, and when I talked about people like um, MPs resigning and whatnot, they all seemed to go, oh yeah, I've heard that over the school dinners uh, price, uh, school dinners, MPs don't voted not to give them food during the holidays, and uh, but no one seems to know about this one. So this is from uh, actually last Friday. I can't remember whether this was after the show or whether I just failed to cover this last week. Either either option. Anyway, let's get cracking with as much news as possible, and I'm going to go into a lot of the later ones on the show. I'm just going to blitz through them. And I probably won't even read that much of the articles, just kind of the headlines. So do your own research, bring them up, you can search engine the headlines if you want to read the whole article for yourself or go to the Facebook page, Beyond the News, and I'll put the sources up there for you. So, here we go. Yahoo News by Alan Jones, PA industrial correspondent. Starmer hit by resignations after rebellion among Labour MPs over spy cops law. Sir Keir Starmer faced a series of resignations as he suffered a major rebellion over the so-called spy-cops law. The Labour leader leader ordered his MPs to abstain on the third reading of the Covert Human Intelligence Sources Bill, but 34 decided to oppose the legislation, including former leader Jeremy Corbyn, ex-Shadow Chancellor John McDonnell and former Shadow Home Secretary Diane Abbott. There's a Twitter here from Dan Carden MP. As a matter of conscience, I must vote against the CHIS bill tonight. I have offered my resignation from Labour's front bench. Margaret Greenwood tendered her resignation to, as Shadow Schools Minister and Dan Carden quit over his post as Shadow Treasury Minister so they could vote against the bill. So Liverpool Wharton MP Mr Carden, said he voted against the bill as a matter of conscience. Good for you, that's my opinion. Wirral West MP Miss Greenwood echoed those sentiments, while Navindu Mishra, Labour MP for Stockport, also resigned from his role as parliamentary aide to the party's deputy leader, Anjali Rayner, ahead of the vote. Uh, Mr Mersh has said he believed voting against the bill sends a clearer message about the strength of our concerns. The bill would grant wide-ranging legal rights to undercover agents to commit crimes in the course of their work. And it was so difficult... This is essentially secret police being able to do what they want, and the independent article said that could include murder, torture, and rape. Hmm. Yep, my you know my opinion on that from last show. If not, uh, you can go and pick up a history book and see where the sorts of uh, the, the lives the public lead under regimes. I suppose is the right word for that that operate with those systems you know they're the ones that we always seem to be told we need to bomb to set the people free uh, but anyway the history books are full of them next article here tonight Hancock wrong to say government scientists ran coronavirus trial on vitamin D ministers are to reconsider vitamin D as a potential weapon against COVID-19 after Matt Hancock wrongly claimed that the government scientists had run unsuccessful tests. The Health Secretary told the Commons last week that he had ordered a trial that showed vitamin D did not appear to have any impact. Officials now admit that no trials took place. Right, so what did he see then? Did someone lie to him or is he lying to us? Or was it just an honest mistake? Who knows? That was from The Times, that's by Mark Howworth and Tom Whipple Thursday October 1st. Next Sphere, governments and who changed COVID-19 policy based on suspect data from tiny US company. Sphere, whose employees appear to include a sci-fi writer and adult content model provided database behind Lancet and New England Journal of Medicine, Hydroxychloroquine Studies. So the World Health Organisation and a number of national governments have changed their COVID-19 policies and treatments on the basis of flawed data from a little-known US healthcare analytics company, also calling into question the integrity of key studies published in some of the world's most prestigious medical journals. So that's from The Guardian, Melissa Davy in Melbourne. Stephanie kuras Gassner in Washington and Sarah Bosley in London. Next here tonight is from The Express and it is from Sunday, September the 6th. I just can't remember whether I read this out at the time, but we will make certain. Thousands may be in pointless lockdown as major flaw found in coronavirus test. I think that's worth pointing out as they start to round up the motions for the second lockdown. Just wanted to repeat this article, if I didn't do it already, by Lucy Johnson, health editor. Thousands may have been forced into lockdown unnecessarily because the test for COVID-19 is flawed and needs to be changed as a matter of urgency. Well, I wonder if they're using a new test for all the lockdowns they're bringing in in Wales. More on that later and also more on the MP's resignations about the spy bill as well later. I like this article from The Telegraph if you put all the pieces of the puzzle together I think and if you take the articles on this show in the last about 15 episodes of it, so this is 15 now oh by the way episode 2 isn't on Spotify because the sound quality is which is too soft and if you are using the show as an insomniac cure, then you really don't want me whispering into your ear at night, do you? That would just be too creepy. So, yeah, I don't think the sound quality is good enough to put up episode two. And I'm trying to work on fixing the buzzing as well. I've never listened to any of my work. I've just put it out there and see what happens. But now it's on Spotify. I was thinking I'll just play it back to my sure okay, and it was like a little buzzing noise. So I'm going to try and deal with that today. But you, you might be listening now, going yeah, no, it's a legend. Perhaps you could let me know. I don't know. Or let me know other articles. Or let me know if the show worked as a insomnia cure. That's at beyondthenews at protonmail dot com. If you want to send me articles, those are my favourite type of emails. Oh, and thanks for whoever's doing the downloads of the Spotify already. It's been opening up there a couple of days, and some downloads. That's nice. Um, more than one. Excellent. So, The Telegraph. Annabelle Fenwick-Elliot, Senior Content Editor, 20th of October 2020. That's a few days ago. I'm starting to think, oh no, let me rephrase that. I'm almost starting to think this whole pandemic really is a conspiracy. That's the headline. Our continuing oppressive response to a virus that almost every human survives is making less and less sense. It's making less and less sense from the angle that the government is telling us. I almost said story then for a second. <laughs> I've been suspicious from the start, back in March when this novel virus just first swept in from the east and countries across Europe started bolting their doors even before cases mounted. I remember saying to people, blimey, what aren't they telling us yet? And that's as far as I can go because of the telegraph paywall and I'm not against that. That's their work. If they want to charge for it, that's their business. I don't want to pay for it. (laughs) So, but I do like that article. A few more like that, I might consider it. DWP, that advert just popped up, this is by the Bristol Post by the way, DWP could monitor your bank accounts under new laws, that's nice isn't it, DWP are lobbying for new laws that would give them access to universal credit claimants bank account data, this is by Dan Bloom and Madeleine Richards, 22nd of October, uh, updated this morning. 23rd of October. This is the Department for Work and Pensions is planning to create new laws which would enable officials to look at universal credit claimants' bank accounts data. The move comes in an attempt to ensure that all claimants are eligible and that fraud is not being committed, reports the Mirror. DWP officials recently revealed that they had been higher losses than anticipated and that ensuring there is a cap on savings had become one of... The biggest challenges so remember all that thing about coronavirus test data major flaws and all that let's hope it was fixed as a, a quote matter of urgency because uh, well even if it was I still don't think there's any need for this but we saw it in South Africa or you know things to that effect return of the shopping trolley police oh. Isn't that the sort of world you want to live in? Um, There's no other crime going on is there? And again, I really, you know, they're just following the laws we allow our politicians to pass. So I really, um, I'm not really pointing the finger at the police, really. Although I think it's, I've seen videos where some of them do seem to enjoy it um, more than just a job, but that's, you know. Videos in thousands of police officers, isn't it? So, not I'm not knocking the police, but we do need to start to hold to we start to need to express our concerns peacefully and lawfully about the ridiculous erosions of our civil liberties to the people who pass the laws that the police are there to enforce. That's my opinion. Return of the shopping trolley police power-mad Welsh First Minister Mark Dreyford orders supermarkets to sell only essential goods when 17-day firebreak lockdown starts in Wales today. Stores being told that they are unable to sell items such as clothes to shoppers and to prioritise other products. Controversial Welsh firebreak lockdown featuring harsher restrictions runs from Friday until November 9th. Many retailers being forced to close down as a result of Welsh First Minister Mark Vapor's drastic action. So how is that working then? Are they saying, are they actually specifically saying, right, big corporations stay open and you can only sell certain products, small products, you can't sell anything at all, small small shops. 40% of your income for you on the self-employment grant, the other 60%, well, it's going to go to the supermarket people. But don't worry, they can only sell certain items now. Is that where we're at? Um, I'm genuine, asking a genuine question, just from those headlines I've read out. But. Government unable to provide clarity on what is essential, nor how enforcement of the rules would look. Oh, it seems I'm not the only one. Stumped. Welsh supermarkets have been ordered to sell only essential goods to customers during the country's 17-day lockdown. First Minister Mark Drayford will tell stories will tell stores are another Freudian slip for instance two in the same episode they are unable to sell items such as clothes to shoppers and to prioritize other products deemed to be more important it means a likely return to the scenes witnessed at the beginning of the pandemic when there were rows over the contents of people's shopping trolleys many retailers will be forced to shut during the firebreak lockdown when it begins on Friday at 6 p.m. but food shops off licenses and pharmacies can stay open right well I'm against any lockdown but that would seem to imply that food shops regardless of their size can stay open so at least that's not um, it's ten out of ten on the fascism scale uh, coming in about nine we'll see how it's enforced but at least What's good for the goose is good for the gander. It's not good at all. It's all te- What's terrible for the goose is terrible for the gander as well, in terms of at least corporal size, by the looks of it, I hope. So at least that, perhaps that's one question answered. Maybe not. Despite there being just hours before it comes into effect, the Welsh Government was unable to provide clarity tonight on what is defined as essential, nor how enforcement of the rules would look. Hmm. Police forces in the country have not released information on how it will work either. Though a government spokesman insisted more details would be revealed on Friday morning, the move has sparked anger among opposition figures. With Welsh Conservative Andrew RT Davies tweeting, "The power is going to their heads." Yes, I uh, also in your own party as well. I hope. I, I honestly don't know. Well, first, I've ever heard of this guy, so I hope he's pointing out that, that it's going to the head of Boris Johnson as well. The lockdown is significantly more severe than England's three-tier system, with Wales demanding people stay at home, except for limited purposes such as exercise and ordering the complete closure of pubs, restaurants, hotels and non-essential shops. I suppose, I mean, I'm just throwing... um, I watch a lot of military history-type documentary-type stuff. Just wanted to point out that if you were looking to... Bring in measures that might do extreme resistance, you would do it in certain areas at a time, deal with it, put them down. You know, don't fight multiple fronts, more of them, less of us. Okay, we could go and subdue this little small area, then this one, then this one, and this one. I'm not saying that's what's happening, I'm just saying I've watched a lot of um, military history siege type documentaries over my life anyway continuing on with the article by contrast even in england's strictest tier three areas some social meetings are allowed outdoors and pubs can stay open providing they offer customers a substantial meal as a result revelers took to the streets of oh they put a substantial meal in inverted commas by the way it's almost like it's uh, you know we'll play along with the python sketch-esque terminology As a result, revellers took to the streets of Cardiff's city Centre this evening to enjoy one last night out on the town before the new restrictions come into force. One last night of freedom for getting your holes now, getting your homes. don't want to see you again for a while, all for your own good. In Scotland, First Minister Nicola Sturgeon also wants to take a harsher approach than the PM. Oh, isn't our PM nice, with more levels of curbs to tackle the pandemic even though she played down claims from a top advisor that families should prepare to see loved ones over Zoom at Christmas due to the ongoing crisis. Mr Drakeford said it will be made clear to supermarkets that only certain parts of their business will be allowed to open in order to sell essentials. Made clear to supermarkets. Is he going to have someone go around all the small businesses or are we back to my original point again? (laughs) There seems to be a distinct lack of clarity. I don't know. Terminology and all that. I don't have the answers for you. Retailers have been given mere hours to put together plans for the lockdown, which will run until November the 9th. As shopkeepers argue, the rules do not make sense as customers will be already in their stores to buy the essential items. Good for you. You stand up for common sense. That's my opinion. I would never tell anyone what to do listening to this podcast. Broadcast, whatever it is, opinionated news repeater monkey, I will personally, uh, the more a shopkeeper tends towards the respect of basic freedoms, human rights and civil liberties, the more I'm going to try and spend my money in them. That's just a general thought there. So, that's as much as the articles I can load up on the laptop before they start to uh, affect the sound <laughs> recording quality I think. It slows down. So I'm just going to bring this up now. While you're there, and this is loading up, that email address is beyondthenews at protonmail.com. You can check out the previous works on Spotify. It's called Beyond the News with Jim Grant. And our Facebook page again, Beyond the this next article is from The Guardian and it reads Oh this is uh, more specifically about the MI5 bill. Yep. Yeah, that was it again from The Guardian from a, another angle. Two Labour frontbenchers quit over failure to impose MI5 bill. That was the article I should have read out last week. But uh, it looks like it built since then. And the next article here tonight is from a source I haven't read from before, Tribune magazine, and it's uh, tribunemag.co.uk, and it's a little bit of an interview from Jeremy Corbyn, um, or at least a piece he appears to have written for him. It's time to stand up for human rights and oppose the Spy Cops Bill. By granting effective immunity to undercover agents who commit grievous crimes, today's Spy Cops Bill places Britain alongside a global attack on human rights and must be opposed. The covert, well, you know what it is, I voted against the bill on its last reading and I will do so again unless it is substantially amended. So this, uh, again, this article by Jeremy Corbyn, concerns regarding this bill have been discussed widely in recent days, but it is worth restarting some of the key reasons why there is such broad, growing and impressive opposition across civil society. This alliance includes Liberty, Amnesty, and other human rights organisations, trade unions, peace and climate justice campaigners, anti-racist groups, and many others who simply want the right to campaign on important issues without police infiltration. Does that? Are you mentioning uh, your brother's anti-lockdown protest there? He didn't actually mention anti-lockdown protests run by well. Um, that, that his brother seems to be involved with. I don't know who runs it, I don't know. Uh, but you know that Piers Corbyn with read out being arrested before. I thought you might want to put in anti-lockdown seeing as it, you know, it's it's a matter close to your heart of, shall we say, that's a good way to say it, of your brother Piers Corbyn who was has been arrested over it. I mean you've put in a lot there, but not. Anyway I'm going to carry on. These Concerns include, but are not limited to, the CIHS bill allowing state agents to commit crimes to stay undercover. No limit being placed on the type of crimes they can commit. That's interesting because, uh, well I didn't, I, I, it's a family show on Bexhill Radio isn't it? But that, that rape law from last week, I did wonder is there any age at which you go, oh no you can't rape them. Oh, that one's alright to rape though. Yeah, that, that. We'll stick them into two piles rape and non rape, though no, they're too young over there. But judging by that, if there is no limit. Yeah, anyway, sorry for the gruesome picture, guys, but this is being done with our taxpayer money and it needs to be stood up against. And good on Jeremy for standing up against it. As much as I'd like to see him support his brother peers a lot more, I suppose can't fault him for his standing up on this and writing this article. As well as the lack of no, 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 I don't want to get this right. This is important. I'll reread it. These concerns include, but are not limited to, the CHIS bill allowing state agents where have we heard that before? Go and watch a World War Two movie. To commit crimes to stay undercover, no limit being placed on the type of crimes they can commit, which could include murder, torture or sexual violence, allowing the committing of crimes to prevent disorder or maintain economic well-being, as well as the lack of a provision for innocent victims to get compensation and a lack of prior judicial authority to commit a crime. So they're not even going to go judge can we rape this person and the judge goes yeah they are they're not even going to do that and if they go and commit sexual violence to for the innocent victims Well, no compensation for you, this is the way it is, this is is pure evil, and any state that passes this, you know, go and look where that leads. So in other words, this is continuing, this bill could put undercover police officers and security agents above the law. Granting a rage of state agencies the power to license agents and officers to commit grave crimes. I think this is the most horrific thing that's ever been passed. I've never, I haven't read the bill, but judging by what you know, you say this is horrendous. And like I said, no one seems to know about this when I say to him, "Do you know that's been passed? For this reason, former Labour Director of Public Prosecutions, Lord MacDonald, is among those to have asked why the bill does not follow the example of similar legislation in Canada in terms of excluding murder, torture and sexual violence from being legalised. Amnesty, meanwhile, have gone as far to say... There is a grave danger that this bill could end up providing informers and agents with a license to kill. I am also greatly concerned that, as it stands, this bill risks compromising and undermining legal proceedings through which victims of previous criminal conduct by undercover agents are seeking justice. Furthermore, the bill risks pre empting the findings of the Mitting, formerly Pitchford, inquiry into undercover policing which was set up in 2015 to get to the truth about undercover policing across England and Wales since 1968 and to provide recommendations for the future. It came after a range of revelations and reports concerning how over 40 years undercover police had infiltrated more than 1,000 political groups. These groups included trade unions, environmental campaigns, animal rights organisations, and family justice campaigns, including the Stephen Lawrence campaign. The CHIS bill came to Parliament hot on the heels of a discussion over the Overseas Operations Bill. The latter is also being rushed through Parliament. It is an insult that more time has not been given to scrutinise, amend and discuss such important pieces of legislation. So... Horrific bill, but pass it through quick quick. Nothing to see here quick. Don't put it on the telly I mean, I don't watch the TV news, but I've spoken to people who do watch TV news and they had no idea this had been passed And they just look at me like that's not real is it? I know the feeling That was what I felt when I read it for the first time. Probably Corbyn as well by the sounds of this article Myself and a number of Labour colleagues also voted against this bill due to concerns that it both violates the rule of law and fails to protect the safety, well-being and rights of our military personnel. As Shamri Shakrabarty has made clear, it will immunise the Ministry of Defence from claims by the very veterans it has neglected and claims to want to protect. Of particular concern is the fact that there would be a presumption against any criminal prosecutions of soldiers five years after An incident took place, including with regard to war crimes, even though those often take far longer than five years to be discovered. Yeah, that's something to consider. Do you remember all the the slow desensitisation of humanity? Well, at least in our country. Do you remember when it first came out? Oh, they might have tortured people in Iraq. And now it's like, well, they're going to legalise it for... Not just the police to do it, but other agencies to do it. And, you know, do it to you. Not just in Iraq, but, you know, you pay for it with your taxpayer money. You can enjoy it now too. All nice and legal. What that is like, can you see the desensitisation? Do you remember a time when that was, they've done what? And now it's, yep, they're going to do it, they're going to do it again, they're going to make it legal and they're going to do it to you. The bill also denies public transparency and accountability for military interventions. Oh, I forgot that bit. Only this time, you know all the investigations and everything. I'm not going to bother with that. don't worry about that. You know, I don't know whether those poor Iraqis got any compensation or not, but, you know, you ain't. When we do it to you, forget about that. Liberty have therefore argued that if overseas operations bill becomes law, it will result in the effective decriminalisation of torture, and many other breaches of the Geneva Convention. Yep, do you reckon? These two bills come within a context of potentially massive rolling back of our human rights under the Tories. In 2018, Tory MPs voted uh, down, including the European Charter of Fundamental Rights in the UK, into law after Brexit. I was a leaver, by the way, but I see no reason why you go, just go, I want to leave, and by the way, that's a good law, we'll, we'll put that into British law. That's where I was on Then their 2019 manifesto argued for updating the Human Rights Act which is cited in many judicial review cases brought by charities and NGOs against government policies and also ensures that the European Convention on Human Rights is part of UK law. There have been reports this year of a growing mood within the Conservative Party to pull the United Kingdom out of the European Court of Human Rights as a follow-up to Brexit and it is well known that Dominic Cummings and other prominent Tories have called for a referendum on this issue. It is clear from recent developments around Brexit that this government is prepared to break international law if it fits with its political priorities. Um, This will also damage our reputation on a global scale, meaning that our condemnation of human rights abuse elsewhere will inevitably stand for very little. It will. Lining Britain up with extreme right-wing administrations that show little regard for human rights following in the footsteps of Donald Trump in the US, Modi in India and Bolsonaro in Brazil. I don't think Trump is an extreme right-wing administration. Um, I think there's a lot of lies about him. Um, but I'm not a Trump fan either. So uh, he does some good, he does some bad. I'm middle of the road on Trump. Don't know much about Modi in India. And uh, Bolsonaro in Brazil. I'll have a look at. I mean, for me, those people have been pretty good on lockdown, haven't they? As in not fought in that much or for that long. But I don't know. I'll reserve judgment. But I, I, I wouldn't say extreme right wing administrations. But I'm not saying they're wonderful either. I just don't think that's the right word for them. I don't think the word extreme is there. Right wing, yeah, but not not extreme. That's my own personal opinion. Uh, but certainly, it's not just you know when you talk about the US, the last several administrations, Obama, Bush, they all drop bombs in countries and they press the button, boom, collateral damage. So um, you know that's more or less outside of judicial uh, things. But I don't think I don't think Donald, I don't know. I don't know enough about how they treat their uh, own citizens, but uh, I don't think the word extremist. Anyway, let's just carry on. It is a threat to us all when our rights are curtailed. Now is the time to stand up for our core Labour values of human rights and civil liberties, and against this government's divisive, dangerous, reactionary political agenda and attempts to follow Trump into stoking up a culture war. No, I don't, I'm not, I don't agree with that. Stoking up a culture war is... Well, I suppose he is, and I'm good for it because, you know, the war is against the mainstream media, as far as I can see. He always calls them fake news, and from what I can see, a lot of them are. So, good for him on that one. And again, you know, that's not to... There's a lot that they lied about him on. I'm not saying he isn't some narcissistic egotist, but there's a lot they lied about him and got caught with it as well. So, let's load up to the next article. So, you know, I think you've probably got the idea by now that I like a lot of what Corbyn says and I disagree with a lot of what Corbyn says. And that's what I do here on Beyond the News. I don't go into the cults of personality. I don't like this issue, I'm with you, this issue I'm not. I'm, I'm not the sort of person. Oh, I like you, so I agree with everything you go with. Or well, I don't like you, so I, you know, disagree with everything. No, I'm doing it on a sort of issue-by-issue issue basis. Something a little bit different... Touchdown, NASA makes historic landing on doomsday asteroid Bennu as OSIRIS-REx extends its 11-foot robotic arm to collect rock samples before launching back into space. This is from the mail. NASA's OSIRIS-REx spacecraft made a historic landing on the asteroid I just named. Uh, It's located more than 200 million miles away from Earth. The lengthy descent mission took Four and a half hours, and the samples will return to Earth by 2023. Asteroid contains material from the early solar system and could provide insight into the origin of life on Earth. This makes the first time that the US has gathered samples from an asteroid. So there you go. Humanity's done something. Another first. So from landing, and I said this was the way the show was going to go today, Oh little interesting stuff about space and we've got some more Egypt stuff coming later on as well. And then back into what I consider the erosion about civil liberties. And I'm just waiting for the article to load up now. And this is an article from the Evening Standard, Sophia Slay, Political Reporter, Friday, 16th of October. Sex banned indoors for tier two couples living apart number 10 confirms. Couples living apart in areas with tier two restrictions are not allowed to have sleepovers unless they are in a support bubble Downing Street confirmed today. Boyfriends and girlfriends will be able to meet outdoors in tier two but are expected to adhere to social distancing rules such as hands face and space. So I think you know we're in Being into the Realms of the Ridiculous, I I think it was on Cruise, yes, it was one of my episodes of Cruise, one of the later ones, episode 19, Uh, you can find that on Facebook, Craig Campbell News, should bring that up on Facebook, or you can like my Facebook page, Jim Grant Comedy, scroll through enough of there, you should find some Cruise links on there, but uh, it was the um, family audience, right. There were, I think it was from New York, or was it Canada, or, yeah, so, somewhere North American, I think, but you can see the episode for yourself, but they recommended <laughs> that, uh, that that sex go through um, a hole in the wall. You know, there's a certain sort of type of fetish, isn't there? You know, keeping it family-friendly, but they, they, you know, oh, madness. Uh, so uh, social distancing rules such as hands, face, and space could be what those recommended people recommended. They must also adhere to the rule of six. Well, that's up to you if that's your thing. But just the social distancing Well, we don't judge here. Social distancing rules such as hands, face, and space Well, those recommendations could work technically, couldn't they? I don't know. Still, welcome to the Monty Python world of 2020. The prime minister's official spokesman told a briefing of Westminster journalists the rules on household mixing in tier two set out that you should mix with your own household only, unless you've formed a support bubble, and that obviously does apply to some couples. When the moon is at midnight on Thursday, this is also acceptable, but only if you stand on your hill at 3 a.m. the previous morning. Thus, you are safe from Covid with 99.9% survival rate. A support bubble is a network between a single-person home and any other household of any size, according to the government rules. It comes as both London and Essex are set to be plunged into Tier 2 at midnight tonight. Asked whether there was no exception for people in established relationships in Tier 2. He replied, because the purpose of the measures that were put in place is to break the chain in transmission between households and scientific advice. Is there, is greater transmission of the virus indoors? Asked if couples in Tier 2 can meet outside. He said yes, as it was set out in guidance that was published this week. The ban on household mixing is in relation to indoors and outdoors the rule of six flies (laughs) i did read that word for word i promise you at least i think i did he also said people living in tier two areas should not go to tier one areas to socialize indoors (laughs) this is our civil liberties here this isn't funny this is he added as has been the case throughout this pandemic whether in following guidance or more recently when we placed it into law, you should behave at all times in the basis of the tier that you live in. So if you live in tier two, you leave tier two, you should continue to behave under the rules for tier two. This means someone from a tier two, he said, could not leave the area or go to socialise in a pub in a tier one area. yes i think it's time to say no that's my own personal uh, opinion which I, i'm only giving now because the article's taking a, a while to load up and it is from the telegraph i hope and it will be for memory Something about the Office of National Statistics as regards to the second wave. So, here we are by Sarah Napton, 20th of October. No sign of second wave as ONS data shows normal level of deaths for time of year. Hmm. People who would normally be expected to die of flu or pneumonia may instead be dying from COVID-19. Hmm. There is no sign of a second coronavirus wave, experts have said, as new Office for National Statistics figures show that deaths are just 1.5% above the five-year average and tracking on a normal trajectory for the time of year. So, the article from the Express earlier, serious flaws in the tests and no extra deaths or 1.5% above the five-year average and tracking on a normal trajectory for the time of the year according to no, it's not conspiracy theorists. that's the Office for National Statistics the OMS so tests are flawed no extra deaths 1.5 above the five-year average and shut everything down Take away everyone's civil liberties and rights all over that. And again, mounting again because I'm waiting for the article to load. This is by the Manchester Evening News. By Jennifer Williams, 19th of October. The secrecy and spin surrounding Greater Manchester's hospital figures. Is this another piece of the puzzle, friends? Both sides in the region's war with ministers are using NHS data to make their own arguments. Just want to point out, when you've got two sets of sides using data to make their own arguments, you would usually go with the one that you believe with your own eyes, which is, their bodies in the streets or not? You know what I mean, sort of thing? Does it look like something out of a movie or not? So, in if last week's battleground in Greater Manchester well over tier three restrictions, was the local desire for more furlough money? Ministers are now seeking to reframe the debate. On Friday, over the weekend, and again today, they have been determined to highlight the pressures within the hospital system here in a bid to emphasise the need for new restrictions. That includes the prime minister's comment that the number of intensive care patients with COVID. Here is now 40% of what it was at April's peak, plus a parliamentary lobby briefing today that predicted we could run out of ICU beds entirely by November 12th. In response, Greater managed to insist the picture, while not good, is being overstated. On Sunday, Andy Burnham said on the Andrew Marr show that the situation was being exaggerated by number 10, while this morning, Stockport's council leader elise wilson told broadcast media that in fact icu occupancy is only roughly where it would be at this time of year anyway Hmm. that sounds like the death statistics icu occupancy is only roughly where it would be well roughly is 1.5 percent of a five-year average isn't it that's a good margin of error 1.5 of a five-year average is, is a margin of error, I'd say, that you could respond to roughly. Is it another piece of the puzzle, friends? Yet in order to weigh up the true scale of the pressures and the political arguments, a range of clear hospital levered data is needed. That has not been entirely forthcoming in recent weeks, as the pressures within the system have clearly grown. Roughly. That was me saying roughly. So this morning, the MEN sent an identical list of questions to all the key players in the row. We wanted trust-by-trust COVID admission numbers as a proportion of overall capacity compared to the April peak. We also wanted the same figures broken down for intensive care and high-dependency bed, plus four ventilator beds. Uh, I'd like to point out... Do you remember what I've read out about ventilators before on this show? You might not want to... Well, what was it? What were the figures? Eighty percent not good. I mean, no, I'm not a medical expert, and that's the last thing you'd want. Is what what my chances are eighty percent not good? I mean, it, just that terminology would not make you feel, you know, it's like if you're on a plane. Oh, I'd sit back, relax. I'll land this beauty. Easy going, isn't it? Nice, nice. Don't worry about the turbulence all the time. You know, terminology matters in a certain contexts. That's all I'm saying, and I don't have it in this context. but I'm pretty certain that ventilator use for COVID-19 did not I think think I've read out articles where doctors said it wasn't a good idea but I think that's safe for me to say that. We also wanted the same figures broken down for intensive care, high defensive bears, plus ventilator bears, including non-invasive ventilation as we wanted equivalent bed occupancy figures for this time of year so that we could compare with the start of a normal winter. In addition we asked for Exactly who owns the data? A perennial question that appears to have stopped us from getting trust-level information when we requested similar numbers in September. Awesome, oh, some good investigative journalism here by the Manchester Evening News by the sounds of it. I, uh, I might have to look out for more of your work. I'm liking what I'm reading. Our request was sent to the NHS England, Greater Manchester's Health and Social Care Partnership, each individual hospital trust in the... Conurbation, the Department of Health and Social Care the Mayor's office and Downing Street we gave a 4pm deadline oh well, to be fair i mean to be fair you can't get government to do anything within a month can you 4pm deadline anyway six out of seven relevant trusts did not respond probably haven't even read your email you know Wigan, Whitington and Lee said that we were unable to provide figures. These will be issued at national level, while none of the others have applied. Well, I think you could give them a bit more time. I, I'd be interested if uh, if that was still the case in a couple of weeks and you're chasing them up. But that's what journalism's do, isn't it? You know, you've know, you got to go down there chasing up. At least that's what I remember from the old Superman movies with Lois Lane getting down her asking the questions getting down there, it's not, not necessarily the Superman. Doesn't that come in the later movies? I only remember the, um, I was going to say the original, but the original was not. The 80s ones. The MEN understands trusts have been told by regional NHS England and the Greater Manchester System specifically not to issue their own figures to the media today. Ah, well, guess you could leave it a couple of weeks. Again, if this was a virus that didn't have a ninety-nine point nine percent survival rate, which is, you know, roughly what we think it has, then you wouldn't need to suppress all the information, would you? Because you'd be able to see it. So and so down the road dead yet? You know, half the street would be like something at the weekend at Bernie's. Yeah, not. Spanish flu was about ten to twenty percent. You know, you know what I'm getting at. It just stinks, doesn't it? Tests, dodgy death rate numbers seem normal with this time of year. So let's completely change society and start legalising sexual torture, rape and murder, and close down everyone's businesses and not let them buy non-essential goods. Why? Well, no, you don't get the numbers as to that. I'm just going to do it. So there you are. Greater Manchester's Health and Social Care Partnership responded this afternoon to say that Dr Jane Ellison would be doing a pooled interview with the Press Association about the hospital picture here, but the MEN-specific questions weren't addressed. The Department of Health and Social Care replied almost immediately this morning to say NHS England holds the data. NHS did respond with some links to data, but most of the relevant information it has offered was only broken down to the North West level, which matters. The government's argument is about Greater Manchester specifically, so North West numbers are no good. They are skewed by the situation in Liverpool in particular. Well, necessity is the mother of invention, isn't it? Manchester Evening News has obviously gone, they want to do what to us? what? Good for them. Good for wonderful journalism. Love it. Even so, one set of figures on total COVID-related hospital admissions and inpatient diagnosis did at least provide a, a breakdown by hospital trust. It shows that on October 11th, there were 76 new COVID patients recorded in hospitals here as a whole. That compares to 240 on the peak day in April, according to MEN analysis of government data, meaning inpatient numbers were, a little over a week ago, around a third of where they were at that point. This is what I like to read. Good data and investigative journalism. You'll find it done more at local levels in journalism and I think you're going to see more of it now. Good for them. Pennine Acute had the highest number out of the Trusts at 22 but it should be noted that Pennine covers the Royal Oldfield, Fairfield and North Manchester General Hospital so three separate hospitals Manchester Foundation Trust had 19 patients, but again, MFT has two major hospitals under its umbrella, Manchester Royal Infirmary and Withamshaw. So I do hope I've pronounced that correctly. So working out with individual hospital has the most pressure is impossible, even if you know what their true capacity looks like, which we don't. I'd like to point out that that capacity has been lowered by the Tories. I mean, I don't have actual data in front of me, but I, I put it this way. I don't think we can say that hospitals um, haven't had closures over the last years of austerity. I think that's a fair statement to make, don't you? Meanwhile, the figures... Oh, well, we were promised it was being fenced didn't it? Didn't Cameron plan us that one of his things? Meanwhile, the figures don't break the picture down by ICU, high dependency or the number of patients needing ventilators. So what about ICU, the crux of the government's argument? Downing Street did respond to MEN's request for data, but it provided its own selection of information and not the range of numbers that we asked for. Greater Manchester has seven relevant hospital trusts, number ten provided numbers for four. It said Manchester Foundation Trust's ICU is at seventy percent occupancy, Bolton at eighty one, Salford at ninety one and Stockport at a hundred per cent. The figures on the face of it are pretty alarming, but one senior hospital commission explained that the that their ICU capacity on paper is not necessarily what it is in reality. Government using pieces of paper to miss direct us from reality i won't have it on this show in fact hospitals also have a surge capacity in other words they can stand up for more beds they can also both within greater manchester and within the north west transfer patients to other trusts we are still in a position where if people need ventilation or needed access to a ventilator we can still provide that within greater manchester what about all the you know hydroxychloroquine the stuff Trump had, not exactly a medical diagnosis, is it? Um, the wasn't there steroid nebulizers as well. I'm not an expert, but I've seen numerous doctors say this is good. I mean, they're on the Supreme Court, loads of them saying it. And I've seen loads of articles saying ventilators is not so good. In general. I'm no expert, but my God, is there... There needs to be... Something is going on, is there not? That's just my own personal opinion. We did that either by hospital... No, I'll get it important. Um, Plans to expand ventilator capacity as there was in March and April. What happened to all those articles? Go and listen to the previous episodes of Beyond the News. I'm certain they're on there. We did that either by transferring out to Burrows or in GM or by opening up capacity in an individual hospital. So the claim ICU is full doesn't necessarily mean if patients needed ventilators, you can't ventilate them. You have... Okay, I suppose there's also the point to be made that if they're in ICUs and the one that patients without COVID would, might need ventilators. Yeah, I don't... That's a that's a point. So if they're... Do you know what I mean where I'm going with that? If they're taking them up, that kind of stuff. So I suppose you could make that
1: point about ventilators. But still,
0: I'd love... I'd love love some doctors to be stopped being censored off of Facebook so that other doctors could hear what they're going to say. You have a conversation with, sorry, you have a conversion with ICUs down the road and say, we've got a patient, another senior health figure added. While Stockport's ICU might be full, they've used the term inverted commas there, but that's not uncommon given that Stockport's catchment area includes East Cheshire and High Peak as far as Buxton, they said. I think what they're saying is um I think we need stats to see how full they are for the rest of the year no yet this so and so is 91 and 100 percent what they um, before COVID. 91 and 100 percent I'm not saying that's what it is I don't have the numbers I think that's my impression of where the match reading news is going But that's why we have an ICU network across the northwest so that ICU capacity can be flexed to meet surge and demand. Also, staffing absence can also affect bed capacity, not just increase patient flows. Oh, it's 100% capacity this week, but but next week it will be... Right, so I think that's uh, enough of that mention of the ventilators and all that kind of stuff. I think we've got the point on that. Go read the whole thing for yourself. Let's get some more. This evening, Dr Ellison, who seems to be being used by both the local and national systems as a spokesman, made a similar point. The system can cope, she said. If one looks at the Stark figures, one might be mistaken for thinking, oh gosh, but that does not take into account the additional capacity that will come into play. They would not know all our escalation plans. We have got very detailed escalation plans. We will bring more beds into play. We have made provision, we have put aside quite a lot of beds in COVID-secure facilities. As a result, the number of beds available at any one time are dynamic. The MEN had already gone back to Downing Street earlier today asking whether their numbers took surge capacity and the number to move patients around the hospital network into account. No response has been received at the time of writing. Greater Manchester System and NHS England had not provided their own ICU data in response to Downing Street's figures. However, one senior figure said, they didn't recognise them. Curiouser and curiouser. And no organisation approached today was willing or able to provide equivalent breakdowns for this time last year. Even though one of the region's arguments, that's what I was thinking, that was the point I make, is that numbers are broadly comparable. Ho Right, it's an emergency, compared to last year it's broadly comparable, but let's lock down the entire city. So it has been, after nine hours of trying to get to the bottom of it, impossible to provide a reliable and detailed picture of our hospital capacity, despite it being at the heart of a raging political row. You'd think if something was an absolute emergency, it would be quite clear. And it would be, that was me saying that, and it would be wrong to suggest that only Downing Street is holding out and providing full data or to suggest that the system here is not under pressure. The MEN spent 10 days towards the end of September trying to figure out what the system's internal projections were hospitals here. They've, uh, when the numbers were finally leaked, they've never been officially published, they showed that Public Health England believed Greater Manchester would be at its April peak hospital-wise by the end of October. Well, that's this week. That leak apparently caused an internal inquiry, such was the consternation Yet there seems no particular reason that those forecasts could simply not have been published. Indeed, an internal dashboard provided to some senior figures shows real-time or at least daily admissions by Trust so that they do exist and are being circulated, but they are never made public. We do know that across Greater Manchester System overall, admissions have been rising, up by two-thirds in the week to last Tuesday, according to the one-set public data Manchester does not publish. Uh, according to the one set of public data Greater Manchester does publish each week ICU and high dependency patients were up by a third across the system so you can go and um, read more for yourself because it goes on there but good investigative journalism from the Manchester Evening News there friends and that brings us to the end of our podcast here on Beyond the News if you've listened to the end you might enjoy listening to me on Spotify and Uh, Just search Beyond the News with Jim Grant. Thanks very much for listening. Cheers.